once upon a time. In our time, as young people, once upon a time was the way the story began. And we set ourselves to hear that story in a new and curious way. A little girl got lost in the woods once upon a time. And we, when we hear it that way, we automatically think that it was back then, once upon a time, back so far even before time itself, before history could record it, that once upon a time place. But to say that it is once upon a time does not make it any less true. In fact, it might make it even more true in a metaphorical sense than if it were straight history. And it is also not to say that once upon a time is only past tense, because once upon a time can also be future tense. It can be something that points ahead. Once upon a time is the way that we understand, of course, the future of God's kingdom. Once upon a time is what we call eschatological time in the kingdom of God. That is, when God finally fulfills everything, that will be once upon a time. In this morning's passage in Revelation 21, a whole book designed and written metaphorically and poetically about once upon a time at the end of things we're not called to hear it so much as a fairy tale, but as a vision. A vision that helps us understand the truth that is embodied in what God's future will look like. Strangely, it looks like the recreation of the city, the neighborhood, into something brand new. A new heaven and earth. Hear the word from Revelation 21, 1 through 5, once upon a time I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the word of the Lord. According to... Tom Junod's article in Esquire magazine, written first in 1998 and reproduced again in 2017. The article's name is, Can You Say Hero? We are called to understand who Mr. Rogers was by him starting his story this way. Once upon a time, Fred 
Rogers came home from college and found that his parents had bought this newfangled thing called a television. Fred turned it on and saw with great distaste people throwing pies at one another. He decided at that moment to do battle against the machine so that instead of being filled with images of violence, it would be filled with images of God's grace across the land. He lost, of course. The revolution won. A half hour a day, five days a week, it wasn't enough. It didn't spread. And so his battles were forced alone. Mr. Rogers lost as we are all losing losing to our 24-hour-a-day pie fight, to the dizzying cut and the disorienting edit, to the message of fragmentation, to the flicker and pulse and shudder and strobe, to the constant hivey drone of the electroculture. But even still, he fought. And what he fought for, of course, was the kingdom of God. A kingdom of God available to everyone, especially to the vulnerable and the outcast, the lonely, especially to the children. The children, the children in us as well. And how he fought it was through television, the same media that he had come to see would cause so much damage. And how he fought it was to create this television series that would provide a moment in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, in the neighborhood of make-believe, and once upon a time, or twice, or even 10 million times, that kingdom of God would be made real. Tom Junod again. Once upon a time, there was a boy who didn't like himself very much. It was not his fault. He was born with cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is something that happens to the brain. It means that you can think, but sometimes can't walk or even talk. This boy had a very bad case of cerebral palsy, and when he was still a little boy, some of the people entrusted to take care of him took advantage of him instead and did things to him that made him think that he was a very bad little boy because only a bad little boy would have to live with the things he had to live with. In fact, when the little boy grew up to be a teenager, he would get so mad at himself that he would hit himself hard with his own fists and tell his mother on the computer he used for a mouth that he didn't want to live anymore, for he was sure that God didn't like what was inside of him any more than he did. He had always loved Mr. Rogers, though, and now even when he was 14 years old, he watched the neighborhood whenever it was on, and the boy's mother sometimes thought Mr. Rogers was keeping her son alive. She and the boy lived together in a city in California, and although she wanted very much for her son to meet Mr. Rogers, she knew that he was far too disabled to travel all the way to Pittsburgh, so she figured he would never meet his hero until one day, She learned through a special foundation designed to help children like her son that Mr. Rogers was coming to California and that after he visited the gorilla named Coco, he was coming to meet her son. At first, the boy was made very nervous 
by the thought that Mr. Rogers was visiting him. He was so nervous, in fact, that when Mr. Rogers did visit, he got mad at himself and began hating himself and hitting himself, and his mother had to take him to another room to calm him down. Mr. Rogers didn't leave, though. He wanted something from the boy, and Mr. Rogers never leaves when he wants something from somebody. He just waited patiently, and when the boy came back, Mr. Rogers talked to him, and then he made his request. He said, I would like you to do something for me. Would you do something for me? On his computer, the boy answered, yes, of course, he would do anything for Mr. Rogers. So then Mr. Rogers said, I would like you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? And now the boy didn't know how to respond. He was thunderstruck. Thunderstruck means that you can't talk because something has happened that's as sudden and as miraculous and maybe as scary as a bolt of lightning and all you can do is listen to the rumble. The boy was thunderstruck because nobody had ever asked him for something like that, ever. The boy had always been prayed for. The boy had always been the object of prayer, and now he was being asked to pray for Mr. Rogers. As, and, and although at first he didn't know if he could do it, he said he would, he said he'd try. And ever since then, he keeps Mr. Rogers in his prayers and doesn't talk about wanting to die anymore because he figures Mr. Rogers is close to God. And if Mr. Rogers likes him, that must mean God likes him too. As for Mr. Rogers himself, well, he doesn't look at the story in the same way we do, or that boy did, or that I did, the writer says. In fact, Mr. Rogers first told me the story. I complimented him on being so smart, the writer said, for knowing that asking the boy for his prayers would make the boy feel better about himself. And Mr. Rogers responded by looking at me at first with puzzlement and then with surprise. Oh, heavens no, Tom. I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. Once upon a time, Mr. Rogers went to New York City and got caught in the rain. And so he and his producer scrambled down the steps into the subway. When they got on the subway, they discovered that it was just the time when school had been let out and the subway was filled up with children of every race and almost every age. And as they got on the subway, not one of the children came up to ask for his autograph, and not one of them said a word, but all of a sudden, in unison, almost as if on key, they all began to sing, Won't you be my neighbor? And turn that clattering train into a single, soft, run runaway choir. What is a citizen? It is a neighbor, of course, a member of a city. For Christians, the city we belong to is the heavenly city. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem city. And it is ironic that there are so many Christians these days campaigning against sanctuary cities. Ironic because in the Bible, every city is a sanctuary city. 
It was the place you would go when you were under threat. The farmers and the shepherds and the outsiders would all come running into the city, would gather behind the walls of the city, those massive ramparts. And the walls of the city were huge, 30 feet high for the Jerusalem walls, 20 feet wide, all built to keep the people of God safe in sanctuary, not to keep them out. In the Bible, the only walls you build are those to protect the people. Mr. Rogers went into the big city of New York often because he knew how much God loved the cities. God loves the country, too. But it was in the cities where there were so many people, so many hurting, lost, needing people. He knew that the cities were meant to be sanctuary cities for all who were left out and put out. And he remembered those Bible stories of God wanting the cities to protect the vulnerable outsiders against the armies of invasion, a place where they could go run to find protection and they, and they could hide behind the walls in order to keep the people safe. Walking down the streets of New York, his producer said every time he turned around, there was Mr. Rogers putting his arm around someone or wiping the tears of someone's cheek or passing around the picture of someone's child or getting on his knees to talk to a child. Oh, Mr. Rogers, thank you for my childhood. Oh, Mr. Rogers, thank you, thank you. Oh, Mr. Rogers, you're the father I never had. Oh, Mr. Rogers, would you please just give me a hug? I wonder how Mr. Rogers would have dealt with the separation of children from their immigrant parents. I'm just curious. Maybe he would have invited them on his show and made them all citizens of his neighborhood. Maybe hid them all behind the walls of King Friday the 13th's castle for protection, telling them, you've made this day a special day just by being you. There is no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. Today was a once upon a time day at Riverside Church. Members went out from the church into the neighborhood, out into the city at five points and took cookies and posters and wrote notes of appreciation for our teachers. And the idea came out of a staff meeting last May, but was given this serendipitous approval when all of a sudden this movie documentary of Mr. Rogers hits the screen in the last two or three months. And out of that instantly, this cult-like hit was born for young and old. Like Mr. Rogers, all we wanted to do was to tell our neighbors and let them know that they were our neighbors and that we're all in this thing together and that God loves them just the way they are. Once upon a time, the Bible tells us, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, not up there, but the home of God is among mortals, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Death will be no more. And the swords will be turned into pruning hooks and the spears into plowshares. Once upon a time, Tom Junood writes again, a little boy with a big sword 
went into battle against Mr. Rogers. Or maybe if the truth were told, Mr. Rogers went into battle against a little boy with a big sword. For Mr. Rogers didn't like the big sword. It really isn't a sword at all. It was a big plastic contraption with lights and sound effects. And it was the kind of sword used in defense of the universe by the heroes of the television shows that the little boy liked to watch. The little boy with his big sword did not watch Mr. Rogers. In fact, the little boy with the big sword didn't know who Mr. Rogers was. And so when Mr. Rogers knelt down in front of him, the little boy with the big sword looked past him and through him. And when Mr. Rogers said, oh my, that's a big sword you have, the boy didn't answer. And finally his mother got embarrassed and said, oh honey, come on, it's Mr. Rogers, and felt his head for fever. Of course she knew who Mr. Rogers was because she had grown up with him and she knew that he was good for her son. And so now with her little boy zombie-eyed under his blind bangs, she apologized, saying to Mr. Rogers that she knew he was in a rush and that she knew he was here in Penn Station taping his program and that her son usually wasn't like this. He was probably just tired, except that Mr. Rogers wasn't going anywhere. Yes, sure, he was, he was there, right there in Penn Station in New York City. There were rings of other children wiggling in wait for him, but right now his patient gray eyes were fixed on the little boy with the big sword, and so he stayed there on one knee until the little boy's eyes finally focused on Mr. Rogers, and he said, it's not a sword, it's a death ray. A death ray. Now, the mother, encouraged, said, do you want to give Mr. Rogers a hug, honey? But the boy was shaking his head, no. Mr. Rogers was sneaking his face past the big sword and the armor of the little boy's eyes and whispering something in his ear, something that, while not changing his mind about the hug, made the little boy look at Mr. Rogers in a new way with the eyes of a child at last and nod his head, yes. When Tom and Mr. Rogers were heading back to his apartment in a taxi, Tom asked him what he had said. Oh, I just knew that whenever you see a little boy carrying something like a big sword, it means that he thinks he has to show people that he's strong on the outside. I just wanted to let him know that he was strong on the inside, too. And so that's what I told him. I said, do you know that you're strong on the inside, too? Maybe it was something he needed to hear. Once upon a time, a man wrote on an internet blog, a good portion of my pro bono work was for defending pro bono children. It's a cause close to my heart. In the course of my work, I met a man who was an adult survivor. You wouldn't have known it looking at him. He was this gigantic Polynesian guy, wild curly hair, he was counseling some of the little kids and doing a fantastic job. I visited his home to get his opinion on something and I noticed a little toy on his desk. It was trolley, the trolley car in the neighborhood. Curious, I asked him about it. The most dangerous time for me was in the afternoon when my mother got tired and irritable like clockwork. Now she liked to beat me in discreet places so my father wouldn't see my bruises. This particular day, she went for my legs. I was knocked down and couldn't get up. She gave me one last kick. The one I had come to know meant I'm done now. 
Then she left me there upstairs, face in the carpet, alone. I tried to get up, but I couldn't, so I dragged myself arm over arm to the TV, climbed up the TV cabinet and turned it on, and there was Mr. Rogers. It was the end of the show, and he was having a quiet, calm conversation with those hundreds of kids. In that moment, he seemed to look me in the eye when he said, and I like you just for being you. In that moment, it was like he was reaching across time and space to say these words to me when I needed them most. It was like the hand of God. It hit me in the soul. It, I was a miserable little kid. I was sure I was a horrible person. I was sure I deserved every last moment of abuse, every blow, every bad name. I was sure I earned it. I knew all of these things until that moment. If this man, who I hadn't even met, liked me just for being me, then I couldn't be all bad. Then maybe somebody could love me, even if it wasn't my mom. It gave me hope, he said. If that nice man liked me, then I wasn't a monster. I was worth fighting for. From that day on, his words were like a secret fortress in my heart. No matter how broken I was, no matter how much it hurt or what I, was done to me, I could always remember his words, get back on my feet and go on for another day. That's why I keep trolley here, to remind me that no matter how terrible things look, someone likes me just for being me, and that makes even the worst day worth it to me. I know how stupid it sounds, but Mr. Rogers saved my life. Once upon a time, the kingdom of God. Once upon a time, the old preacher and his wife went to see a movie that was sold out, and so they defaulted to see the documentary at Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood at the Sun Theater. They had heard a couple of good reports and read some reviews that lifted it up, but to tell you the truth, the old Presbyterian preacher thought Mr. Rogers was sort of lame, boring, and kind and sweet, but just lame. The show just seemed lame to that preacher. And so the Presbyterian minister and his wife buy tickets and walk in and, and the place is packed. And there's this, there's this woman standing there taking the tickets and she has tats all over her body except her face. And her face has more piercings than a tank. And, and her hair is... 14 different colors, and she's probably 22 years old. And as she reaches out to take the tickets from the old Presbyterian preacher and his wife, she smiles and says, you're going to go see the documentary on Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I've seen it three times. I've cried through all three showings. In fact, there's a table with boxes of Kleenex on it when you go in, grab them when you go. And so the old preacher and his wife grabbed the box of Kleenex and, and cried through the show. We almost ran out, but the old preacher and his wife did at least. And what occurred to me was that the old preacher and his, and his wife sitting there watching this documentary were not really old anymore. We were five years old. We were five years old. 
And as Mr. Rogers was telling us that we are loved just for who we are, the thing that any five-year-old needs and wants to hear, the thing that any 50-year-old needs and wants to hear, once upon a time is now. God himself is with us and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And the hands that will do the wiping will be the hands of all of us. Our hands, our scared and vulnerable and broken and hurting and abused hands. Our lost sheep hands used to carry guns and death, but no more. Now we only carry towels to wipe the tears from the cheeks of those who are crying and to wipe their feet too just as Jesus did, for we are all citizens of that kingdom of God. For it is the city that we all belong to. Won't you be my neighbor?